0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, fresh back from ATA. I uh, actually recorded this one before so my voice doesn't sound like this. Uh, spent a lot of time talking with a lot of different companies, good friends, uh, all sorts of people down there at the at the show. Uh, but this year we are again working with Spartan Forge. Talked to Bill down at ATA extensively about the things that are coming up. So Spartan Forge is an app for mapping, but it also has a neural network that predicts deer movement. So it tells you. The best places to sit. Now, it doesn't say this point on a map, but you move your cursor anywhere on the map, and it tells you if the deer are going to be in a core area, if they're going to be in a transition area, or if they're going to be in their entire range. And that's based on military software that was used to track bad guys and good guys. And it says deer from these studies on these days, in these temperatures, these weather conditions, this is what they did. And it's accurate right now up to about 60-65%. So in addition to having some of the best imagery in the business, it also tilts in your favor where to be, when to be, for your precious time in the woods. You can check them out at SpartanForge.ai. Got to give a shout out to a new Patreon this episode bradley gullage he's out of arab alabama and uh, we really do appreciate that patreon is crowdfunding for creators Um, so basically uh, you're supporting the show and if you don't like the ads that have just uh, popped up you get an ad free feed so if nothing else you can support us just for that Uh, but we are doing a bunch of things we're going really uh hard forward with video so our video game is going to step up here greatly Uh, i'd say over the next three months i'm really dialing in everything but slowly 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 uh big things are coming for us and happy to share those with you Uh, patreons kind of have an insight on what's going on but uh, basically it helps host uh, all that the equipment everything that goes along with it and allows us to try all this different gear and Everything. In addition, we do quarterly giveaways. Now, I know I'm late because of the ATA show and everything on announcing the last quarterly giveaway, which is that X2 pack, that uh, Tacticam, Cellcam, and that Carter release, as well as a uh, uh, Spartan Forge membership. However, Uh, this quarter we're going to be doing a traditional bow giveaway. Um, So, I've got some things in the works, uh, but we're going to be giving away a trad bow and a set of arrows. And one of our Patreons, Tom, has said uh, he'd love to build those, uh, you know, for that bow, for that guy, um, whatever. And uh, we're going to take them up on that. So, we're going to be giving away uh, trad Um, and that's going to be the main thing. There'll be some other things, uh, along there, but that's also what we're doing. So you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash podcast or just click the link on our website or Instagram. But this week's podcast, whether you're hunting now or you're transitioning into scouting for next year, we're talking with Jake Bush about where to find deer for next year. So finding next year's trophy right now and wh- what you should be looking for, what time of year you should be looking for it. And as he takes a 365-day approach, he's going to tell us uh, this time of year what it is that he's looking for, as well as go over his hunts for the last couple of years. So thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the episode. All right, so today's guest is uh, Jake Bush, kind of uh I guess maybe just prior to all of the COVID madness has taken the mobile hunting by storm. He comes in, he kills giant bucks on the first day and, uh, creates a video and, or a film rather, like in, in a record time. And, and this year he was, uh, you know, he would say blessed enough to do it twice in, in one year. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, after the season, what do you do now? Um, so how are you doing tonight, Jake?
2: I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Is that,
1: I mean, is that a fair
2: assessment? <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. That's, that's pretty much it. And, you know, as soon as really that last tag was punched, it was uh the scouting mentality for me. So getting right back into the swing of things, you know, I've been out probably close to 50 miles boots on the ground already. And, I'm, I'm in some new spots again this year. I'm really going to scout hard and, and try my best to get on another good one next year. Okay. So one of the things
1: I want to get into, um, is, uh, you know, as you're setting up for the next year and we're talking about finding next year's deer already, um, some guys are still hunting right now. So do you have any seasons left or you got any tags, uh, burning a hole in your pocket yet?
2: I don't know. Tagged out in the States that I was hunting. Um, now for me, it's just does. And my girlfriend does have an Ohio tag still. So I guess that, that counts. Uh, muzzle coming up this weekend. I'm going to try to get her a buck and we're going to try to go right till the end. If we have to, you know, I'm kind of waiting on, some of my late season cameras to maybe heat up or come up with a specific game plan for, but that's possible.
1: And so before we get into next year, um, as you're doing that and you're setting up, what are your like late season go-tos or late season hotspots? Um, aside from the quintessential, you just got to get them on the pattern bed to food. I mean, there's, the deer that you're hunting, it's not that easy. I mean, I was hunting bed to food for the last two weeks and I did see a couple of good bucks, but they're not dumb. I mean, they were crossing the dead center of CRP fields right into the center of a cut cornfield, you know, and for a guy with a bow, that's usually not within range. So like, what are your tactics for
2: this late season? So my biggest tactic would be really trying to fine tune a deer that it has somewhat of a pattern left. So, you know, there's quite a few bucks left, especially around here. Uh, A lot of those are really skittish right now. You know, they're not moving a lot in daylight. They might be pushed way back into a secluded clear cut where they're not moving a whole lot. Uh, You know, a lot of the cover's gone. A lot of the food sources that we had earlier in the year are gone. So where can I find a deer doing something similar to what he would be doing? And, you know, I might have to go through, I might have, let's say 10 bucks that are still on camera. Nine of them might not even be reasonable to hunt right now. You know, like if I had a tag and I had a giant one, yeah, I'd try to come up with some sort of game plan, but in a situation for her, where we're just trying to get a good buck on the ground, what deer can I find that I think is killable? And, you know, I talk about that even early season too, where it's same thing. It's If I have five bucks that are the same age class, same antler size, pretty close, which one of those deer is going to be the most killable and can I attack the most efficiently? That's going to be really important to me.
1: And so, are there other factors um, other than the the food? I mean, are you seeing these deer bedding up in, I, I guess maybe you're one of the guys that probably, I would say, understands or predicts deer bedding you know it, it probably about as good or efficiently as you can so are you seeing changes in the late season or i guess what what changes are you seeing as the snow falls the pressure dissipates
2: and and you know these deer are just bulking up for the winter but yeah there's there's quite a few things that are different as opposed to early season rut even throughout december uh, snow plays a big role in that because it just takes the food sources and dwindles them pretty quickly. One of the biggest things I key in on, which I learned from Johnny Stewart actually, so give him some props, is the importance of finding greenbrier in big wood settings. So if you have Greenbrier, you have a natural food source year round. You know, like say the acorns start to get eaten up. Uh, the, the browse is pretty much gone by this time. Any sort of greenery is pretty much gone. Greenbrier is still going to be there. And it's not only like a thermal bedding cover area, but it's also a really good food source. You know, I find last year, I found 50 antlers on public shed hunting and scouting. And I would say over half of those were in Greenbrier patches. And that's, you know, this time of year, that's your January and February. So that's uh that's a big player for me. You know, I'm, I'm targeting those, especially if I can find them on like the sunward side of a ridge. So, you know, like a south facing ridge right now, that's going to be really important to me. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, like I was saying, the food sources are scarce. The bedding cover is scarce. So that changes quite a bit. You know, any clear cuts that you had are probably still going to be halfway decent. So that's something that I target quite a bit, but a lot of my big woods, wide open timber settings are just, they're barren wastelands right now. I don't even focus on that. Okay.
1: Now with the green briars that are being used as both bedding and food, how do you hunt that? I mean, if the deer can just sit there all day and eat and they don't really have to get up and move too much. I mean, what's the, what's the play there if you're not hunting with a muzzleloader or something?
2: When you figure it out, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, there's, there's a couple different things you can do. You know, you can switch to, there's still going to be some sort of travel going on generally. They're, you know, they're not going to lay there and eat all night. So there's what I generally find is they'll transition between different greenbrier patches, or they might even transition from one on a specific side of a ridge to the other side of a ridge. There's going to be a little bit of travel there. You know, they might venture out to an oak flat. Still, there might be some acorns dropping. Uh, if you have a really good clear cut and then your briar patches are on the outside of it, you might be able to find a little bit of travel there. Uh, morning sits could be a really good thing this time of year because you can get right over top of the bedding and you can take a lot out of play there. Um, but yeah, it just depends, you know, it's all situational. It's going to be based on what terrain you're in the weather conditions at the exact time the amount of pressure your deer faced, you know, if you're in a very high pressured area, you might not get barely any movement at all out of your mature bucks right now. It just depends. And obviously the colder it gets, the nastier the weather gets, the more snow you get, that's going to help that factor.
1: Okay. One of the things I wanted to talk about also was as we're discussing these types of uh, topics and and what I want to get into, you know, we're talking about you know, trying to kill bigger deer, but we're going to get into talking about, you know, how to get away from people or how to, you know, hunt these overlooked areas or, um, kind of thinking outside of the box, um, in the time that you've been hunting, and putting this information out there on social media, you've been on podcasts, you've been, you know, putting your videos out there. Um, if you're not following along with Jake on Instagram, he does a lot of scouting and tips and stuff like through his his stories and, and such. Um, how do you feel about, you know, are you seeing that change the areas that you go to? Are you seeing guys pop up where they didn't used to be or guys... Following your vehicles around or <laughs> any of that stuff.
2: Oh yes, and there's some negative to that, but there's also a lot of positive. You know i I shook hands with a newer hunter this year in the hub that I killed my 180 inch deer out of, and right away, you know, I'm walking through the woods and I hear Jake. And I'm like, oh man, you got to be kidding me! But started talking to the guy, and he's a great guy. You know, he might listen to this podcast even. Uh, and remember, and remember shaking hands out in the middle of the woods. But, you know, for me, it's, it's more like that side of it. I, I just want to help people, you know, experience the same things that I'm experiencing. And I feel like there's always going to be a way to put yourself in a good position, regardless of how many people have any sort of tactic, you know, like, especially in your home state, you know, like there's a lot of out-of-state residents that are probably listening to these podcasts and they're traveling to Ohio and they're hunting hard and they're killing deer. And that's awesome. But it's my home state. You know what I mean? Like I'm here all year round. So I should be able to still put myself in a good position. So there's, I I don't mind doing that. You know, I get a lot of flack from some of the in state residents for doing the same thing, putting out some information. But to be honest, a lot of this information is already out there. I mean, you know, I've learned, I picked up what I know and then obviously put my own spin on it. But, you know, your Dan Infalt's, your DeQuistos, your Andy May's, your, all these guys that came way before me, you know, Greg Litzinger, Johnny Stewart. I I talk about these guys all the time because they taught me what I know, where if I didn't have that information from them, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. So I like to just do the same thing, but, uh, but yeah, it definitely comes with its cons as well. And that's kind of having to think outside of the box of your own thought process a little bit. Uh, you know, I got into Kansas this year and when I went to Kansas, I was actually talking to Andy a little bit. We were you know, talking about some things rut wise and terrain features. And I was talking to a couple of different guys and really thought I had a game plan going in. I was like, you know what? I'm thinking outside of the box of what I think everybody else is going to do. Well, everybody else is evolving too. And they're all thinking outside of the box. So I showed up to my out of the box areas in Kansas and there was a bunch of guys in every one of them. They were getting hunted like crazy. And the difference is and you, you have to have the right mentality when that happens, because, you know, I could have just thrown my hands up and said, well, you know, I'm going back to Ohio. This is getting hunted like crazy. Or I could go back to camp, look at my maps and try to think even more outside of the box. You know, okay, well, the Creek bottoms are getting hammered. That's where I'm seeing all these guys with decoys and these guys that are hunting really hard. You know, they have, they're really hunting good. They're in the right spots. Well, maybe I just go to an area where there's not any trees at all. Like there looks like a couple of dead trees on like the fence lines. Let's try that. You know what I mean? Like you get, you have to continue to evolve. It's just like any sort of business out there. You know, they're constantly evolving to just to stay productive and to stay on top of their game. And you have to do the same thing. You know, your wheels always have to be turning. Uh, you know, I get a lot of guys that are like, man, you're constantly scouting, you know, you're, how can you put in that much time scouting every single year? Well, a lot of my spots get burned out. You know, I'm I'm putting pressure on those spots by killing a deer in there. There's other guys that are putting pressure on these spots and I need to constantly evolve. Otherwise, I'm not going to continue to have the success I'm having. So, need to continue to work hard. You know that I heard this thing on a podcast a while back and it really resonated with me and it was a guy that was like, "You know, the the deer I'm chasing next year don't they don't know my resume. They don't know what I've accomplished in the past 10 years." I have to go out and, and figure out how to kill those deer. You know, that's I, nothing that I've done matters up to this point besides willpower and hard work and trying to put the pieces together on the next year. And that was, that's something I've really taken and just tried to apply to my, my own strategy at this point. So let's talk
1: about that, that Kansas hunt. Um, y- you go there, I mean, how many days did you have to, to hunt Kansas? What was your, What was your plan, your rutcation, um, like timeline that you wrote down at your house in Ohio before you,
2: before you drove out there? So my timeline was really as long as it was going to take to get one on the ground. And I knew I wasn't going to be overly picky and, you know, my expectations out of state during a rut hunt are going to be drastically different than they are in state. So Going out there, I knew my expectations were going to be a little bit different, and I was really hoping I could have an opportunity. I laid out, you know, like if it took 14 days, if it took 17 days, I was going to stay as long as it took. I would, you know, stay in my truck as long as it took. I would get a hotel. I'd do whatever it took, basically. Um, But my thought process was basically, you know, I've got caught before in the past where I bounce around during the rut too much. And, you know, I've told everybody I'm a terrible rut hunter generally. And I think a lot of that has to do with, I like playing the game of chess and I like having the pieces of the puzzle together and being able to strike. Well, during the rut to me, it's kind of like, you need to just sit here and let it happen. So I've caught myself making the mistake of just bouncing. Like every day I'd be in a new spot and I never catch up with a deer like that. So I told myself this year, you know, take whatever first three days, five days, Find a good spot, like find the the best spot you can and then sit it as long as it takes to make it happen. And I mean, that was really my thought process.
1: Okay. One of the things that you just said was something that had come up when we had talked before. So I'd like to expound on that is the thought of being too mobile. So if you, which I, I believe that a lot of the listeners do, uh, follow along with a lot of this stuff and the gear and the evolution of mobile hunting and all this stuff. You know, everything's a hanging hunt. You got to have a saddle. You're in a different tree every day. You can climb any tree. Um, it, it, and so you're talking about getting burned by being too mobile. So now that you've reevaluated bouncing around so much, how long is too long in a spot? Or what tells you that a, a, a spot has has got burned
2: So early season's a little bit different you know that's gonna be extremely precise at, like almost almost surgical where you have to you're going in you strike and you get out and if you don't strike and you mess up you're gonna have to come up with a different game plan you know it's very rare that I would ever even consider hunting the same tree like two nights in a row early season. Because if he's not there, he's not there. And if he was there, I messed it up and I'm going to have to do something else. Or I killed him. It's really three options for me. But in the rut, I mean, what I've found, I run a ton of cameras, you know, I run close to 40 cameras. And what I found is a lot of my spots that I was bouncing to during the rut, or that I would have buddies bounce to during the rut, because I'm ha- constantly having friends that are coming down here and staying at the cabin and hunting, is they would hunt it one day And then the next day or the day after that, the target buck would show up in daylight. And we kept, I mean, we had that happen in the last three years, probably. I mean, this year it happened three times to my buddies down here. And my brother was one of them too, where we were a day late or a day early and we were hunting that day, but somewhere else. And so, you know, I'm learning these lessons real time almost, but, uh, but yeah, for me, it's, I don't know. I would say that the if you're having action in a spot, especially during the rut, if you're having action, you're seeing bucks, you know, your wins, right? I would sit that spot until I'm not having action anymore. There's no sense in leaving, especially because if you're in the game or if you're close to the game, you have an opportunity during the rut, you know, anything could happen at any point. So, yeah, for me, I would say if I'm having action, if I'm seeing bucks, I'll, at the point I'm at now, I might sit that tree. If it's the tree that I think I can kill out of 10 days in a row, 12 days in a row, 14 days in a row, if it takes that long, which I hope it doesn't, maybe I'm not in the right tree if it takes that long. But, um, now, you know, there's, there's circumstances to that. Say you're in a spot and you're in a ridge system and you're seeing the bucks, but they're on the other ridge and you just keep watching them walk like, a you know, a oak flat on the other side of that ridge. Well, maybe you need to get over there and hunt those deer. So it's situational, but I don't think... I think bouncing around with intel is different than randomly bouncing during the rut. And that's what I started to find myself doing down here a little bit. That's why I tried to basically get out of it at this point.
1: Okay. And so in the rut and those types of spots, um, without giving away your secrets or whatever, so where are you... Um, I guess we'll start it like this. Um, you know, you said you're trying to get into a spot that, you know, is the right spot, the best spot. Um, so for a lot of guys, you look at a map and there's these obvious pinches. There's these obvious ditch systems or ridge systems or places that look really, really good. So what spots like that? the obvious spots, are you just, you know, avoiding altogether because of that?
2: Like what type of terrain features do I avoid? Well,
1: I I, I think like, so when you go to Kansas and you're planning on hunting, if it takes 14 days, who cares? Uh, But you can look at a map and you can say, well, there's a parking lot right here. And then, you know, usually... Uh, On a lot of these places, like Ohio, for example, you'll go and there'll be a a path that might be gated, it might not be. And then it goes to some sort of an ag field, and then obviously there's some sort of waterway to irrigate the ag field. And there's an inside corner there, there's a, a ditch system, and then there's ridges and things. But they're just, they look so good, so easy, that everybody, if you walk in there you know, you can see all of the old bow hangers and all the things, and you're probably going to see all the footprints and all the old trash. Um, So when you're going to Kansas and you're, you're trying to figure out, like you're looking at the map and saying, this is where I need to be. What places are you avoiding for hunter pressure or
2: things like that? So I'll tell you what I thought before season. And (laughs) I'll tell you what I think now, because they're, they're way different, which is important. So, Before season, the things I was trying to avoid were the very obvious funnels. So if you look at like a walk-in area, you know, they're anywhere from, let's say, 30 acres to a couple hundred acres. They're pretty much all over the place. So if you look at those, the thing that I was trying to avoid was walk-in areas that had access on two sides because I want to know if I'm the only guy in there and I want my truck there as almost like a deterrent to that area. You know, you see a vehicle, you're like, "Oh, there's a guy in there on the creek." So, that was one of the things that I was trying to look for. The thing that I was trying to the number one thing I didn't want to hunt and I wanted to cancel out immediately was the the really obvious funnels on these walk-ins. So, I'm talking where you have like five different creeks that meet at a like a hub in the center of that walk-in. And it's, you know, you have, you know, five different wooded Creek bottoms that just converge dead center. Those are all over the place on those walk-in areas. I mean, they look phenomenal, but I just, in my head, I'm like, there's no way those will be good. Right. They're going to be hammered. So I canceled all those out. And the thing that I was looking for was the corner, like, so basically in these walk-ins you would have, a lot of ag and stuff. And some of them would just be complete rolling fields or rolling hills, even. And in the corners of some of these properties, there would just be like a couple hundred yard strip of one wooded creek bottom. And in between that, what I was looking for was like really good private land on both sides, you know, thick private land where I thought, okay, you know, doe bedding area, doe bedding area, the buck is going to cruise this creek that's in the corner of this property. So most people on the map won't even notice that this creek's here. And if I can put a ridge in between the road and that creek bottom so so you can't see it from the road, surely that's going to make it better. Right. So I picked out a lot of those spots where I was like, that to me seems very overlooked. You know, a couple hundred yard strip of wooded creek bottom ridge that is in a wide open field. Like I just don't see anybody hunting that they were getting hammered. That was like one of the things where everybody must have had that same thought process. So, you know, my top 10 spots looked like that. And I thought I was really, I thought I was really out thinking it on the maps, man. But uh, so that was a big one. And then in Ohio, for me, one of the things I try to avoid at all costs, you know, whether it's me or my friends or anything else is these big wooded saddles. So, you know, they're really obvious on a topography map. And it seems like every one of them has some sort of tree stand or bow hanger or pressure in some way, shape or form on them. So try to avoid saddles down here quite a bit. Uh, I'm sure a lot of guys are listening to this, like, man, I kill a bunch of deer in saddles in Ohio all the time. And I'm sure you do. Maybe you're the person with all the tree stands in there. Who knows? But, um, and same thing. So in, uh, in swamps, you know, I really like hunting swamps and marshes. That's probably my favorite terrain and there would be land bridges. So land bridges look great and they they're productive. I mean, I've had good success on them, but they're easy to pick out on a map, especially with the updated imagery, any satellite imagery nowadays with like leaf off imagery. You can pick them out really easy where it used to be more difficult. Uh, Yeah. Those are my, those are my top three, I would say.
1: Okay. So then in that, scenario that you just gave when you went to Kansas and you found all of those guys and you're like, oh man, these are my best spots and now they're all burned. Um, what's your mindset in in shifting? Because one of the things that I'm starting to realize now as I talk to more and more guys like yourself, and I, I, I mean, I said it on the last podcast, but I have... I, couple thousand acres of public, like 10 minutes from my house. So when I hear of guys, especially when you're out of state saying, okay, well, I'm going to drive three hours over here, or I'm going to drive over here, or, you know, I live in Michigan, or maybe you live in Ohio, but you're going to drive three hours South because that's where the big bucks are. Like that's never really like crossed my mind. And especially out of state where you, you know, you probably had to figure out a place to stay. You had to, you know, so you had all of this logistical stuff figured out. So what is your mindset now when you say, okay, now I need to to reevaluate"? How do you, how do you pivot?
2: So my mindset is, I don't care if it's going to be like a, a drive issue. I don't care if I have to like sleep in the back of the truck or even in the driver's seat. None of that matters. What do I need to do? to kill a deer, to like get on deer without pressure and to kill one. What am I missing? You know, that's the big thing I'm always asking myself, what am I missing here? Like, you know, what am I not thinking about? What am I not seeing? That's going to be obvious when I finally, when it clicks in my head and I was, you know, the good thing about me is I have really bad OCD when it comes to whitetails. And I, I overdo it so bad. So I have so many backup plans. You know, I, I told the story where I scouted every single walk-in area in the state of Kansas twice online. Like I was, I, I get crazy with it. So I knew all the areas already and I knew the spots I really didn't like because I was like, there's no funnel feature really, you know, there's very, or there's very little funnel feature, but it's going to be really hard to hunt because there's no trees and I finally got to the point where, with checking all those spots, I was like, you know, the the thing I need to do is get to where all these guys can't really hunt. You know, the decoy guys, from what I was seeing, really like those wooded creek bottoms because they could kind of work in along the trees. You know, I watched a couple guys do it right in front of me, and the guys I'm seeing in tree stands aren't really in. I don't think I saw a single person with a mobile stand that wasn't preset. You know a lot of them were preset there was actually a lot of ladder stands that were set up i knew a couple guys that were walking into ladder stands they drug into the woods a couple of days prior so it was like you know what kind of you know generally speaking i would say that the mobile hunting community is still pretty small compared to the hunting community and not everybody has the gear to get in any tree you know like they not everybody out there can get in a tree that's three or four inches in diameter it just can't happen And they look at you like you're crazy when you do it. That's where I ended up killing my deer. I went to a place where you couldn't get a climber. You couldn't get, you know, a lot of things, really. It wasn't really the best spot to stalk. There wasn't a whole lot going on there. And I just feel like thinking basically the the evolution of it, like the uh, constantly evolving. You know what I mean? Like questioning what I'm doing, trying to evolve, and then being open to absolutely anything that could possibly kill a deer like i said when i finally located a couple good spots they were like an hour and a half from where i was based out of another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning
1: for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app
2: and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA member FDSE. I was like, well, I'm going there. Like, I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm going to make the drive every day if I have to. I'm going to figure it out. That's, you know, backup to me. That stuff doesn't really matter as much as doing what I went there to do.
1: So, as you,
2: you know, decided
1: um, on this, this property, that, that you ended up going in. I guess when you got there, why were the deer there? Did it, did it set up good uh, for the deer as far as being the same kind of thing that you were looking for in terms of a, a, a rut funnel? Was it a, a just a, a travel corridor or what was going on there other than the fact that, you know, probably they were there because it didn't get hunted a lot because, because there was nowhere to traditionally hunt
2: so it was really it was really brushy draws so i think one of the things that helped me quite a bit is we had a really big windstorm roll in you know i don't know what the sustained winds were i would say probably between 30 and 40 miles an hour like it was it's pretty windy and those brushy draws when you got down in them it was just like five mile an hour winds. Basically it was, it knocked a lot of that down. So I think they were bedded in those brushy draws, which makes sense. You know, the drainage was facing, was, was draining out the way the wind was blowing. So that, that aspect made sense to me when I hunt back here in Ohio. Um, but I think the number one factor it was, so it was a rut funnel. I would say it was still a rut funnel because it was a drainage and they were using this as basically just a, Corridor to and from is all it was. The biggest thing that I think really led to deer being there was the absence of pressure. You know, there was cattle on the property, so you had to walk past a bunch of cattle. I actually had cattle around me the whole night in the stand. If you watch the video, I'm filming them the whole night. And I would think that most guys would show up to a spot that doesn't have a tree on it, you know, very few trees, and they see a couple hundred cattle and they see basically nothing, they'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'll pass. I'm going to go hunt, you know, where I can get my climber or where I can put a ladder stand up or something else. Like, I just feel like that's kind of probably why I had success there. And, you know, it didn't take me long to get in there either, where I got down that bottom and I found a bunch of really good tracks. And I was like, yes, there's big bucks here. Like immediately I was like, there's a big buck track. Like I've been in this draw for 15 seconds and located a big buck track. I was like, I'm, I'm to something here. I think this is going to work. And I didn't think it was going to work that night. Obviously I thought it was going to work in the next couple of days, but, but yeah, I think that was the biggest factor.
1: And that was going to be one of the questions. Like once you got in there, it so tracks were the deciding factor. There wasn't, it wasn't all, or were, was, was there other things as you got further in there, uh, scrapes rubs and then what, what was the determining factor on where you ultimately
2: set up? So the biggest factor for me was the tracks. You know, there was, I don't think there was a single rubber scrape on this property that I saw anywhere. The one thing that I saw, I got down in there, I found that big track with a doe. So there was a doe track and a four fingered buck track. Definitely not the deer I shot by the way, but there was a slammer in there. But, uh, I, you know, immediately saw that. I was like, okay, there's a, there's a buck in here with a doe. There's deer here, you know, I'm on to something. And I was like, there's not a lot of signs. So even if somebody came in here, I think that they would probably get discouraged. And I did a little scout, you know, it was windy. So I, I'm not a big, uh, I think we've talked about this on the vitals, but I'm not huge on ground scent. Like it doesn't have a big impact on what I do. Like, yeah, I try to avoid it and mitigate it as much as possible, but it's not the end all for me. And this was a really good example. I made a big circle in there scouting around because it was so windy. I was like, I'm just going to figure this area out before I set up. last thing I want to do is get in a tree in an unknown area and be a hundred yards off. I might as well just tear through it real fast, see what I can come up with and make an educated play to put myself in position. And, uh, you know, the, one of the big reasons for that, this drives me absolutely up the wall is I hate when I can see a deer and I can't shoot it. It drives me crazy. Like I have done everything I can to get to the point in my career where I, if I see a deer generally, or if I see a good buck, generally I'm going to have a really close shot on it. Like I like really thick areas. I like areas I can't see a long ways. I like these kind of just like tucked back trees that don't make a whole lot of sense for a lot of people. And, um, you know, I don't care if I don't see a deer for, 10 days, it doesn't matter to me. As long as when I see the deer that I want to see, I can shoot him. So this was a perfect example of that. You know, I had a couple pine trees that were up on the hill more that I could have tucked my stand into and like a a couple other semi-dead trees. I don't know what they were, but they're semi-dead, not very big. And I was like, you know, that would give me better observation of this area but if a buck rolls down through this one little crossing where that these tracks are i won't be able to shoot him so i was thinking i was like where can i shoot this deer you know chances are if he's with a doe they're bedded up in that draw it's really windy chances are they would come funneling out this direction how can i shoot that deer and you know finally i got to the point i was like okay well that tree right there will give me a Seven to 10 yard shot on that little crossing, that little tiny crossing. It's not much, but I think that's all I need. And there's no other sign in here that's telling me that these deer are being like extremely nomadic throughout this area. Like the couple tracks I found were right in that one spot. So that's the nice thing about having the gear that we have is. I, there's no question in my mind I can get in that tree. It's yeah, it's going to be a pain in the butt. There's no doubt about it. It's going to take me a while. I'm going to get pretty ticked off probably, but I can get my stand tucked in there enough to get a shot on the spot. And that's what it took, man. It was, you know, a really sketchy tree. It was dead. It was really windy. And it's, if you've ever been in those really small trees, you can't even really get your straps tight. You know what I mean? And especially if there's a ton of limbs, you're just kind of, putting your strap around a couple of limbs and tightening it up the best you can. You just kind of step up it the best you can. And then you're secured in with your tether harness or whatever you're using. Uh, it was one of those, you know, I got up in it and it was very uneasy. I had my, my platform completely angled out, like the most level I could. And I was still basically sitting in a lazy boy, you know, I was at a terrible angle, but it worked, you know, that was the tree that gave me the shot that I needed. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I- It really makes me happy to hear you say that you get ticked off um, climbing trees because, you know, I've been doing the stand and sticks for as long as we've been doing this podcast. So for the last four years before that, it was all climber all the time. And I still like every single time I choose a tree, I feel like I get right up to where I need to be. And then there's limbs there and everything. And then this year, same thing. Like I'm running daisy chains. So I'm wrapping the daisy chains around the tree twice. And it doesn't end up where I want it to. And um or I got (laughs) I, I hunted recently in a tree that was just about too big for everything that I had, but it was the only tree that I needed to be in. And like there was one like standing dead, like telephone pole tree that you would see, you know, you, if you hunt marshes and marsh edges, you know, everything's like the, you know, big hay marsh. And then there's that one bonewood dead tree. It was that one or this tree that had limbs and it was nice. And it probably took me 25 minutes to climb that tree. And it just makes me happy that you say that, that it's not, it's not just me. Cause I think every time I get in a tree that, you know, this is the tree that I have to be in. It's like, Oh my God, like, why do I do this to myself? (laughs)
2: Oh, I think the same thing every single time. I'm, you know, I've I've had setups that have taken me hours to set up a tree stand, whether that's because I'm close to the deer, because of the limbs, or you know, and you can fine-tune your gear as much as you want and get to a certain point, but there's variables with those trees that change every time. Like you said, like one of the biggest things for me is the limbs and you want to place your stand here and you get up there and you set your stand on the tree and you tighten your strap and then you cam it over. Well, now it's hitting something else. And it's, it's never easy. It's just a matter of rolling with the punches. You know what I mean? Like you can either once again, let it tick you off and kind of ruin your day and ruin your hunt. Or you can be like, you know, like, I just gotta, I gotta accept it and just go with it. Just go with the flow, find a way to make this tree work. But it seems like, you know, if I take anybody else with me anymore, we get set up and they look at me, they're like, what are you doing? Like, why are, why are we in this tree? And, uh, it's like, this is the kill tree. This is the spot you got to be in. And they look at you like, you're, they're like, there's a perfectly straight tree, 20 yards away. I'm like you can't kill them from there. Like that's, that's not the kill tree. This is the kill tree. <laughs> it, it always works out that way.
1: Uh, just remind like when you said, when you get up there and cam the, the, the stand over. Uh, We were hunting in Missouri and uh, my good buddy, Eric, we we took a canoe across, we walked up and literally there was scrapes right there. And he said, I'm going to hunt right here. And I just moved down the ridge. He sent me a picture of two, you know, 18 inch, eight points or, you know, one of them might've been a 10 or whatever. He got up in there, cam to stand over. And there was a. A knot right in this back where he's gonna have to sit. So he got down on his sticks, his bow's laying on the ground, and those deer walked right past him right then. So he was hanging onto a stand, got his phone out, and took a picture because of exactly that. So uh, it's, you can get in any tree, but my God, sometimes it's just the deer don't, the, the deer gods aren't in your favor. <laughs>
2: Yeah. And, and don't get discouraged too. You know, like I'm sure some, some of these people that are newer to doing this are like, Oh, you know, I'm sure that these guys get right up this tree and they make it seem easy. And with all the social media talk of guys that are setting up in you know, five minutes or whatever, if they can, that's awesome. I'm not that guy at all. You know, every person that I think I've ever mobile hunted with, I've, I've witnessed them do the same thing you know that we all struggle the same ways getting in some of these spots so that's part of the process you know it's never gonna be easy killing big deer is not easy
1: and I think from uh, the perspective of like being too mobile i think that that's where that question arose from is is you know in our uh patreon group and the guys that follow the podcast all the time you know they there's a few of them that have switched from climbers to And, and, you know, they, the the one guy, Brad, I'll just have to call him out. He's like, you know, I was a killer. I just killing deer, killing deer, killing deer for my climber. And I hunted always the same spot. And I went in there and I killed deer. And he says, now I got a saddle and I'm bouncing around. And he's just like beating himself up. So what do you say to guys like that? uh, Back to that, like being too mobile type thing. Uh, Are we, and I'll put myself in the same category. Are we overthinking it?
2: yeah 100% and you know another thing too it's same thing it goes back to any tactics you have you know i'll tell people like you know i find these big thermal hubs that work for me that face a certain direction and i'll replicate that and it's not really cool and you know there's guys out there that can that are a thousand times better hunters than i'll ever be that have a bunch of different terrains they can hunt and they can go anywhere in these hills and stuff like that but I found what works, you know what I mean? And I still work hard at it and I feel like I've found a little bit of success doing it, but it works, so I'm gonna continue to do that. You know, if you've got a killer spot, go hunt your killer spot, unless you wanna go have fun and be mobile. Like I get that side of it too, but yeah, you can definitely overthink it and overdo it. And I think I've experienced that. You know, I've experienced it in just about every way possible as far as hunting goes. And it's really getting back to, what what are you trying to do at the end of the day? For me I'm trying to just kill mature bucks like that's all I care about and the more I think about that the more I realize that I kind of I've I've been the same way a lot so yeah you know like if a climber works use a climber if your saddle works use your saddle whatever works for you use that and just I don't know I mean have fun do your thing
1: I feel like you might be the wrong guy to to answer this question and I only say that because it's really hard to be too mobile or second guess yourself or whatever when you, every single time you seem to kill on the first day. <laughs> so it's <laughs> that, that makes it, that makes this a bit, a bit difficult of a question, maybe for you to answer. But I, uh, on that, you know, when you talk about if you got a killer spot, you know, hunt it until, you know, you, you think that you haven't. It. It, when we are talking about that, I think about the guys like, you know, Troy Pottinger or, um, You know, Dieter and we had on here. I know you deal with a lot of the, the lone wolf custom gear guys or the whitetail um,
2: addictions, guy. addictions
1: guys. Yeah. But, you know, those guys are set up to hunt a specific deer in a specific spot where they're killable you know, and in, in Troy's case, you know, these deer have a huge range. They range in different states and I think sometimes into a different country, <laughs> like, you know, like up there in Idaho. So it, in Washington, so it's like, you know, those guys have preset stands sometimes on an exact spot with an exact wind. And, you know, if you have that a couple of days in a row, I don't, I don't see those guys not hunting it, you know? And so for us that we want to I was in that tree yesterday and social media says I can't hunt the same tree two days in a row or I can't leave my stuff. Um, You know, I, I, I think you're putting too much emphasis in, on that, that tree or that spot, you know, if you didn't blow them out, I'd imagine that the deer doesn't even know that you're
2: there. Yeah. And that's exactly it. And you know, that obviously comes down to a bunch of different factors, but yeah. If you don't blow them out and you think you have an opportunity the next day, there's definitely no point moving. I do think that, you know, I've, I'm guilty of it too, where you get caught up in these, you know, like the new hunting fads or the mobile hunting fad, like whatever's the hip thing at the time. But like I said earlier, it's, it's getting back to, you know, you're going to listen to a bunch of podcasts. You're going to take in a bunch of info what you need to do is go out and experience it and work hard and kind of come up with your own game plan and then come up with your, your own fundamentals based off of that. You know, like some guys might have a ton of success being mobile all the time and just, you know, even like ground hunting all the time. Like they're going to go somewhere different and walk around and kill a deer every day. Like, I don't know, they might have success doing that. I know guys that are really good that have preset, locations that they hunt on this perfect occasion and kill a deer. I know guys that have a preset location that hunt it 30 times a year and kill a deer. You know, I know guys on some really killer private that have like awesome rut funnels where it's guaranteed they kill 150 on that rut funnel every year or they at least have an opportunity at it. You know, it's it's all going to be situational, and that's why you have to you have to base it off of what you're learning and experiencing, not what anything else is telling you what to do.
1: So, as we're going into the end of the season, or, you know, our season here in Michigan is is over, and you've said you've already put in 50 miles of of scouting this year, as guys are transitioning into, you know, whatever's next, whether it's squirrel hunting, predator hunting, ice fishing, you know, whatever their their mindset is, for many guys like yourself, you know, uh, I've heard... Uh, Andy may say, you know, I don't play softball. I don't go out and do this. I don't go do that. I, all I care about is whitetails. So what is it that you're looking for at this time of the year? And how are you utilizing that information next year?
2: So the one thing that I'm doing right now is I, I still have a lot of cameras out in the field and I'm trying to just get inventory on some of the areas that i focused on this year, you know, what's left, what, you know, in the next month, I'll pull all my cameras out of the woods and I'll go through all of my pictures and try to correlate like a specific deer to the wind and go through Excel spreadsheets and try to just come up with game plans for some of these deer. There's a lot of cameras that I haven't checked since September. So, you know, I have probably 20 cameras I haven't even looked at since September. So I'm going to have to go and figure out if that's even a spot that's worthy of me focusing on again. But while all that's soaking, while all that's getting intel for me, what I'm doing right now is I'm also coming up with new areas, which is a thing that I don't think I'll ever change. You know, I love the adventure side of it. I love having more options. I feel like, you know, even if you kill a good deer in a spot, Maybe there's a spot out there that has a better deer that has more good deer that you or has you know you can be more efficient there. There's so many different factors that go into it, but I'm right now, besides getting the intel, I'm just trying to locate new spots. I'm scouting a lot, you know, I'm trying to look at all the sign because right now in Ohio we haven't had any snow yet, so the sign from the rut and from pre rut and post rut is hot, all the beds are right where they should be. You can see the different wind location beds. You can see all the scrapes based off that. You can see rub lines. You can see what food sources they were eating. You know, a lot of the, we had a bad Oak here, but there was still some Oaks that were holding. So I can correlate the beds I'm finding to where I'm finding cracked acorns and shells on the ground. Say, okay, you know, the point of this clear cut was good this year because I had Oak trees that were holding here. And even though I didn't find any fresh beds on this next point, if this oak flat over here heats up in the next couple of years, this spot's going to be good. You know, right now, these beds are a 2 out of 10 because there's no hair in them and there's leaves that aren't crumbled. But that's because there was no food over here. When I have the food here, maybe I don't have the food over there. So I'm trying to... I, I, I try to come up with every possible scenario for these spots, basically.
1: And what is the most... Um I, I guess where people would go wrong, or what's the the most misunderstood piece of sign at this time of the year?
2: So I would say the most misunderstood piece of sign really doesn't play a big factor in what I'm doing, but it would be it would be rubs. I think that especially this time of year, it's really hard to. Look at a bunch of rubs just on a hillside and come up with a game plan of why they're there or anything else. And I'm sure there's people out there that can do it. I'm not one of them. Like I can't look at a lot of these rubs and, and figure out why they're there unless it's like a big, you know, annual signpost rub that's obvious, right outside of a bedding area. But I walk by a lot of them and I don't even really look unless there's unless they're really close to bedding normally. Because did where, you know, was that rub from September, October, November, December—is it a fresh rub now from a little bit of the third rut? Like, what's the reason it's there? I, I don't know. You know, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. The one thing I'm looking for is big community scrapes and the beds. The beds right now are the number one factor for me. I'm trying to locate as many beds as possible. Now is the best time to see them. I can come up with game plans. You know, like, hey, this clear cut has beds in these four locations. So if I want to hunt this spot. I need to circle around here and i can only get this close to this buck bed because these doe beds or this satellite bed can see me from this location so that's the number one thing i'm focusing on you know in the next four months i'll look at and lay in thousands of buck beds i know how that sounds but literally thousands of them trying to formulate a game plan on you know what's the top five of these beds going to be next year but I come up with a lot of game plans for a lot more than just those five trying to come up with what I need. Okay. I can see that we had a, um,
1: actually one of the listeners was asking about rubs and what it is, you know, how, how you're interpreting them. And when people say a rub line or whatever, um, you know, they're trying to say, well, is it a rub line? Is it whatever? And, and you know, my answer to that, and I, I guess I'll defer to you on this, is like whenever I see rubs, other than I look at, are they a big, you know, so big rubs on big trees get your attention. But outside of that, all I'm looking at is kind of direction of travel. So is it on this side of the tree or that side of the tree? And then trying to figure out why or where it's where was he going or why was he here um and that i mean what what is
2: your take uh, on on rubs in in general so I, I i like what you said there and the why is what troubles me with rubs you know like with a hub scrape it's really obvious the why is because all these deer are coming off these 20 beds and they're hitting the spot but walking through the woods, even if I find a really good rub, it's the why is always one of those confusing things to me. I you know I find rubs where the whole tree's rubbed all the way around it, and I'm like, there's not even a direction here. <laughs> like there's nothing that I can that I there's nothing that I can understand yet in where I'm at in my hunting career, where maybe eventually I'll get to that point where I can correlate it more. You know, so I don't put a lot of stock in rubs at all, really. What they tell me, you know, I scouted today for, I think I did like a little bit over eight miles of scouting today. And I found in this spot more big rubs than I've probably ever found anywhere. Fresh rubs in a, in a very low deer density area. So that's got me excited. But the reason it has me excited is there's, there's good bucks there. That's what I can take away from those rubs. Yeah, there's good bucks there. They're tall rubs. Some of them are on really big trees the bigger thing to me is them being tall, but there's a ton of rubs there. Like there's good bucks that are laying down sign for some reason, whether that means that the buck to doe ratio is really good, whether that means they're very territorial. I don't know what it means, but I know that, you know what? I can take those rubs and say, yeah, there's good bucks in this location. I don't know when necessarily, you know, you can look at them and say, okay, it's a month old possibly or some guys can probably say hey it's three days old because it's bleeding or not bleeding or stuff like that but for me it's just yeah there's there's good deer here there's deer in the area this is a spot where i should probably focus and look for the things that i feel like i can actually get some sort of uh information out of that are going to help me um the the two times that i actually pay attention to rubs the one I've talked about a little bit earlier was like a rub line leaving a bedding area tells me a lot because I have direction of travel to and from beds. I also like finding rubs directly in beds. Basically, all it's telling you, which I already know from doing this for a long time, is that's a buck bed. But when you're newer to finding beds, that might be a really critical piece of information. You know, if I look back 10 years ago and think about finding buck beds, I think that used to mean a lot more to me finding rubs in those beds because I didn't necessarily know what I was looking for at the time, but finding that definitely validates the fact that it's a buck bed in my opinion. Like, okay, yeah, I found a single bed on the side of this hill leeward you know, it's got a good uh, elevation and sight advantage and there's a rub in there. It's like, bam, you know what I mean? So that helps out. And then the, uh, I would say the number one time and reason that I look at rubs would be early season. You know, if, if it's September, like say it's a week before season, and I go into an area in a white oak flat and there's some torched rubs, like me, there is a buck here right now. He just lost his velvet. You know what I mean? Like it's as, it's as real as it gets, it's as fresh as it gets. That's intel that I can use. You know, there's a buck here, and then I can base all my other information off of that as well.
1: Yeah, one other thing that I would add, just because we're we're talking about it, and this is something that I think about as well. As I was going to say, I'm looking for you know proximity to a bedding, and then if, if I find rubs in a bed, I'm like, okay, now we've now we've got something. But one of the things I, we were in the UP somewhere, and there was a spot that had, I mean, if there was one rub, there was three hundred in this little bottom, and it was kind of like a thermal hub. But you know, my father-in-law Frank and he's killed a ton of deer, he just doesn't kill big ones or he messes up on big ones, I guess is a better <laughs> better way to put it. But he said, you know, he always looks at that as that they spend a lot of time there. So, it's some place that they feel comfortable. If there's a spot that's just every tree is rubbed up everywhere, you know, they spent a significant amount of time there and they felt comfortable enough there now obviously if it's in the middle of a wide open forest that's probably at night or you know whatever so those things you have to take into consideration too but that's just something that is always that that one piece of information is has stuck with me um as well so
2: yeah no i like that and that makes you know kind of like a staging area right like if they come into you know the last thick area before they enter a field and that thick area is hammered with rubs like maybe they're staging there. So, yeah, I like that.
1: And so you had mentioned you're you're scouting today and spending all this time and if 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 that on your Instagram was today, it looked like you found a whole bunch of sheds or a, a few of them anyway. Um where, you know, so that's going to be the next season for a lot of the the white tail guys and I was looking at those, uh, when you picked them up and the one was like chewed up, the one was really chewed up, but the other one was a really nice, ru- uh, a really nice shed, but it had a little bit of chew on there. And I was looking at the pedicle to see if it was this year's or it looked like it was last year's. Um, but that's going to be the next big thing for, for all the serious white tail guys. And we've got guys that, that listen that, you know, they almost enjoy shed hunting more than they enjoy the actual hunting portion of it. And I am awful. I've found one in my whole lifetime. So um, where are you finding the majority of your rubs? You'd mentioned the, the green briars, which is uh, great information there. But I mean, in and you know, you talk to, to Byron and he'll say, miles you know just log miles and you'll you'll find them but i find myself doing more scouting than shed hunting i can't go out and look on the ground just for sheds and only look at my feet i'm looking at runways i'm looking at r- old rubs i'm looking for scrapes i'm looking for beds i'm looking for all that stuff so where are you finding these sheds and what would you how could you tell people to uh, some tips to improve their their shed hunting
2: so To put it simply, you know, for me, it's going to be the food source and then bedding and then in between that. And everybody says that, right? Like that's, that's probably the most common phrase out there and it rings true. But to elaborate on that, what I would say is, you know, like ag, if you have, if you have access to like ag fields, like a standing cornfield or a freshly cut cornfield, the transitions around those. So like buffer strips are always going to be really good spots. Staging areas are going to be really good spots, any sort of thermal cover. So if you have a pine thicket or probably one of my favorite things is like a lone pine tree, whether it's in hardwoods or in a CRP field, whatever it would be, I never walk anywhere, whether it's a clear cut, CRP field, uh hardwoods. I if I see a lone pine, I have to go look underneath it because I cannot tell you how many. I mean, I found just countless sheds underneath lone pines. Um, you know, I'm looking in a lot of clear cuts. I find quite a few sheds scouting, but it changes a little bit from where you would think you're gonna find those deer. So every once in a while I will find a shed. On the leeward side for a south wind, so like a north facing ridge and a bed, but I think that's because there was like a you know a heat wave that rolled through, or it was before there was a bunch of snow and he might have been wounded or something and lost his antlers early. Generally, what I find is like in hill country, I'll find a lot of the antlers on south facing bedding. So if you have a south facing slope with briar or with uh, you know, red oaks, black oaks, whatever's left, you're not going to find white slate season very often. So with some sort of food source, that South facing slope is key. And yeah, I, you know, I, I put on a lot of miles scouting and inadvertently find a lot of sheds, you know, even crossing ridges, but I find more antlers being very precise, you know, over the years I've located A certain amount of south-facing white or not white oak flats, south-facing red oak or black oak flats, just oak flats in general that I think you're going to be getting hit. I've located so many clear cuts that are south-facing, so many greenbrier patches. I've got a couple ag fields that I can shed hunt, and I've just kind of stacked those up. So now I don't waste a bunch of time in the woods walking around spots that I'm not going to find like mass quantities of antlers. I can go and, you know, precisely go to this one oak flat, walk up and check it and leave and sometimes find two or three of them there. And then if I do, like if I find one, I'll start doing a little circle, you know, I'll walk the trails to and from and I'll go check the bedding that's in that area. But if it's not a hot oak flat that year, there's no point in me wasting my time. Same thing with walking through the woods, you know, like last year I would go walk some of the game lands around here, some of the public, and I would walk eight miles to find one oak flat that had one antler. So it's a lot of dead woods. You need to kind of fine tune it over time. And yeah, I guess the only way to do that is to put miles on and kind of figure it out. But I would say if you're in hill country, focus on south facing slopes. Generally the north facing slopes won't have a ton of antlers. And if you have any sort of thermal cover in the area, that's going to be a big one. Okay. And
1: best time of year. I mean, obviously you're finding them last year's now, so you can go to areas where people don't go. Um, but where, I mean, what time of year are you watching your cameras? And as soon as deer are missing a side, you're, you're going out there and going after them. Or is there a time of year that you're saying, okay, I usually start, I'm scouting now up until X and then X I'm shed hunting
2: yeah i would say it depends on where you're at and how much pressure you have shed hunting wise um when i lived in new york there wasn't a lot of shed hunters at all so i could wait until you know up there we get more snow too so like early april when the snow melt hit we could go out and hit our spots and find close to 100 of them but down here there's a lot of shed hunters and the public lands get hammered for guys just looking for antlers, guys and girls looking for antlers. So, you know, it's a little bit different. You almost have to time it based on your camera inventory based on uh cold front, you know, like say that it's say that we have a couple inches of snow and it's been, you know, high twenties for a couple weeks. And then all of a sudden we get like a zero degree snap with high wind or some freezing rain or something. The next couple of days, you definitely want to be out because you're going to have some fresh antlers on the ground the further, the closer you get to that mid-March timeframe, the more that that's going to affect the antler drop. So, you know, like my favorite thing would probably be, like I said, a freezing rain late February or early March. And that's when I'm really going to get into it. And that's when we find the most, it seems. Um, Down here by, you know, mid-April, late April, they're getting chewed on pretty bad. I found a couple last year that are just, you know, like 160 inch sets that are chewed already and it drove me nuts. So try to time that too. It just depends. But yeah, you know, it's going to be situational based on where you're at. You don't want to push your deer herd too much if you're on a small property. Like say that you have the cornfield, but you go check it three times a week right now. Well, all the bucks might be dropping two properties over because you bumped them. So there's... There's a bunch of variables, okay, so
1: I think I mean a lot of good information there, and kind of covered everything that i i was I was thinking. So I'm gonna ask you a little bit of a, a curveball question We usually ask about your bow and 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 all of that, but I don't imagine that anything has changed too much. Um, so what piece of gear did you? use this year, whether it was new or old or or whatever that you felt helped you more than any other piece of gear.
2: Ooh, so I've got I've got two of them I gotta mention. I guess it's it's they go hand in hand, but you know, like my stand setup has been set up really good now for a couple of years. Like I really enjoy the stand setup. I can do a lot of different things with it. I can saddle hunt out of it. I can Sit out of it. That's great, but if I need to, I mean, I could stand on a tree limb and kill a deer out of a saddle. I'm sure, like that's that would be a possibility. What I would say had the biggest influence on my year would have to be really a a good harness setup. So you know, I'm running the Latitude saddle, and what I like with that is it's. It's a little more rigid than the saddles I've used before. So I feel a little better in it climbing. But what I like with beyond the manufacturer, you know, what I like with the saddle is it gives me the flexibility to do a couple different things. And I was talking about that. I can saddle hunt, I can sit with it. You know, the ability to use a lineman rope. I know a lot of guys out there still don't use a lineman rope when they're climbing up trees. And to me, that's crazy because you know, some of my spots, I'm two and a half miles in with no surface. And if I fall even 10 feet, I'm not getting out of there. You know, it's going to be a nightmare. So you have that side of it. But the bigger side of it for me is when I'm climbing up a tree, I want to be as quiet and efficient as possible. If I make one clank 50 yards from a bedded buck, like this year, 70 yards from my target buck day one, if I make one clank because I slipped You know, I had to use one hand to hang onto the tree and the other to try to hang my stick. Anything like that, he's gone and that hunt's over. And I didn't shoot that deer this year. There's a very good possibility of that. So having a good setup to climb up the tree safely, quietly, and efficiently is is the biggest deal to me. You know, like, you know how important access is to me. I'm an access guy. And part of that access is getting up the tree and getting situated without being detected, which is not an easy thing to do. You know, I've told stories before where I'll be standing on a, on my sticks for two hours waiting for a wind gust or a vehicle to drive by or a squirrel to chatter to hang my ne- my next stick. You're not going to do that without having a lineman rope on or a tether or a harness, or I don't care if it's a summit harness, a latitude saddle, a Rock climbing harness. It doesn't matter having something on to help you out. And the other thing too, um, you know, I've used the RopeMan before. I like the RopeMan quite a bit. And Latitude, when they sent me my saddle this year, they it has a tender on it. So you have your prusik on your ropes, just like we used to use before the RopeMan's. You know, everybody just used prusics. The tender is just like a little piece of, I want to say it's plastic. I want to say the one I have is plastic where it, it works just as a rope man, but there's no mechanical parts to it. You know, it's just a piece of plastic and I tape mine up with stealth strips so it can't make any noise. So now I have the ability to adjust my lineman rope on the fly. And like I said, that to me is the most important aspect of my hunt from From the time I get to my tree to the time I'm sitting down in my tree is the most crucial point in my entire trip, 90% of the time, because that's when I'm the closest to a deer. So as big as safety is, you know, yes, it's a huge part of it. But aside from that, just the ability to kill more deer because I can quietly and efficiently get up into the tree is the most important part to me.
1: And then for next year, do you see yourself changing anything as far as your gear setup? Is there anything that you, you you didn't like this year or something that you're looking
0: forward to?
2: Uh the only thing that I've been going back and forth about a little bit is going I have my two bottom sticks, so I run the custom gear, Wolf custom gear DS5 and I run the minis. You know, I ran the doubles. I like those quite a bit too, but run the minis now because they the way that they pack into the stand i like a little bit more and i feel like they're a little bit more secure on the tree you know they're just they're they're tight on the tree so i really like those but my bottom two sticks i have rope modded with uh what is it i want to say it's maybe 5 16 sam steel that that's probably the size it is is. 5 sixteenths? that's pretty big but it's kind of a pain sometimes, you know, I run into some issues where it just bugs me a little bit. And then I have bungees on the end of them, which are really nice, but those also get hung up in tree branches. So when I'm tearing down, they're just, you know, you, there's no perfect setup to me. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to go back to cam buckles. And the reason being is the more I use them this year, the more I just realize like, if you tape them up and they're quiet, it's not that much added weight, no matter how far you're hiking. I mean, Gee, I'm packing these bucks out on my tree stand. It, the four cam buckles doesn't matter. So it's just more efficient to me. Um, a little bit quieter and they're more secure on the tree, especially when you get in those situations where there's a ton of limbs and you, you can't really tighten up your rope or your daisy chain. You know, like for me, the, I ran daisies and the best way for me to put uh, my sticks on the tree with daisies was to actually turn the stick sideways. That way your standoffs aren't on the tree. So you put your loop on and then you can actually pry that stick back onto the tree and it tightens up a lot better, but same thing. If there's a bunch of limbs, you can't really do that. So that's, you know, that's another factor. So yeah, I would say the only thing I would possibly change is running four cam buckles instead of ropes. Besides that, my setup would be the same.
1: Okay. One thing I'm going to tell you, and I've seen a couple of different videos on it, but I can't ever really, find them to replicate. I think Zach Owsley has one. So with daisy chains, I had the same problem. I hated them last year. I went from like versus straps to daisy chains back to cam buckles by the end of the year. Cause they kept kicking out or you had to do that. You had to keep farting around with them just too much. If you take the daisy chain and go underneath the button and cinch it tight and then go through one of the other, loops and then cinch it back up and then put a loop on even if you're one loop off so you don't have to do that they're rock solid that's amazing that was that was one of the biggest takeaways that i had this year bar none now if you're in a (laughs) four inch tree um and you, your daisy chains don't go all the way to the end because the ones that I have, then you gotta piss around with it. But by being able to cinch that down like that, it it changes things
2: dramatically. So a couple things. So I like that. What size are your daisy chains? Because I had the, I mean, they were like three sixty fourths or something crazy. They were tiny.
1: Yeah, super super small. Yeah, m- mine are very
2: small. So. And what sticks are you running because I'm assuming what you're doing by like you're basically doing the rope mod before you put the daisy loop on right so it's like cinching itself against the stick.
1: Well, what it's doing when you when you put it through there and you tighten it up it's it's essentially doing the same thing as when you do a cam buckle and then you're just locking it in with that loop. So it's not rope modding there's no there's no friction against the button at all okay you're still yeah. into, whatever loop you get to but it's just tightening it down so instead of having however big your loop is sag and yeah. even if you're off by now one full loop sag and then a half one so that you'd have to go sideways or whatever you're you're tightened up way more and your your sag is only very minimal so and I did that this year with the novix minis and the B sticks so
2: nice yeah i'll give it a shot i've got mine downstairs still so and i mean those things pack up better than anything does so yeah that'd be cool
1: yeah so just just because you were saying that like and i i don't think i've mentioned it on a podcast yet and it's like one of those things where i have to i've like said, I need to do a video on this just so that I can say, I can just refer to my own video and just say, look, it, it's right there because it's, I saw that and I was like, there's no way. Cause I literally just threw them in the bucket and I was using cam buckles for the first 10 hunts this year. Cause I was over it at that point. So, but, but yeah, man, I, I'm pretty sure that's all we've got for, for today. So if people want to see the any of the uh, deer that you've killed, you know, in the past years, this year, like where can they follow along with that? And then what's your YouTube page so that they can see those films that you put together?
2: Yep. So the YouTube is Legends of the Hunt, and I've got, I think, five kills on there now, four or five. Um, and then the Instagram is Jake Bush Solo. And I post quite a few, like like he was saying, scouting stories. Um, you know, a lot of days I'll do like a vlog style day of the kill. I do that pretty much every hunt, but I'll post like the kill days and it turns out pretty cool. Um, and then you can find me on Facebook at Jake Bush. I'm on like the mobile hunter page and the cell film hunter pages and stuff like that.
1: Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And thanks for taking the time, Jake.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me on.